Good morning. Welcome to Chapel Hill Church. My name is Paul McVitie. I'm the lead pastor here at Chapel Hill Church. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you are going to need one today. We are going to sit on the passage we've been looking at. And uh, if you do not have a Bible, we have one that you can use. So just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use this morning. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you don't have a Bible of your own currently, just keep the one that you receive. Um, We are passionate about the word of God here. And we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. And so uh, here's what I want you to do. Um, We're going to do some underlining in our Bibles this morning. All right. So if you have your Bible with you, a paper Bible, and you want to do some underlining, but you have nothing to underline with, I want you to just put your hand up again and say, hey, I need something to underline with. And our ushers have colored pencils. That's what I use is a colored pencil. I use the color green because I like green. And you're going to take that colored pencil and you're going to use it to underline the things that I say, hey, underline this in our passage this morning. Okay, Um, if you have a Bible app on your phone that you're using, you have about 10 minutes to figure out how to underline or highlight in that app. If you want some help figuring out how to do that, I can't help you because I don't know how to do it on my app. So you're on your own with that one. But figure out how to do it. Get into your menu and figure out how you can highlight the words that we're going to underline this morning, okay? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to sit in First Peter chapter 1 and we're going to do some underlining this morning. And you'll understand why as we go. I hope your weekend was good, um, that you had a lot of fun last night with your kids and your neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. Um, I I had a good chuckle on Friday. It was Friday morning, and I had the boys out waiting for the bus. And Jossie, the girl from down the street, the third grader from down the street, she came out to wait for the bus. And we were standing there, and Friday was their costume parties. And so they all went with their costumes ready to go and everything. And so we were kind of going around the circle and asking, well, what are you going to be? What's your costume going to be? And so uh, Liam was going as a hockey player, a goalie, a Vancouver Canucks goalie, in case you needed to know that. Uh, Jude was going as a snowboarder. And so he had all of his gear ready to go. Um, Liam or uh, Asher was going as a banana. Um, That totally fits. (laughs) And uh, so he said, Jossie, what are you going as? And she said, I'm going as an 80s girl. And I kind of smiled and then felt this deep sense of woundedness inside myself. (laughs) Because I just realized, having turned 50 recently, that I now come from an era that's turned into costumes. (laughs) So I want to make a public apology this morning to all you former hippies. Uh, Because you are the costume that I wore to make fun of hippies when I was younger, right? (laughs) Now, kids are dressing up like my peers in the 80s. And I'm sorry to all you hippies for making fun of you by dressing up like you. But anyway, um, she was dressing up as an 80s girl. And now I just, I was offended. So... Backing up, we are studying First Peter, and last Sunday, if you remember, we talked about um, the age of salvation. We talked about things into which angels long to look. We talked about the reality that the prophets had prophesied. They talked about mountains that they could see in the future. They talked about Christ's coming and about his death and resurrection, and they talked about his return 
And what they couldn't see clearly was that space between. They weren't sure what was going to happen between. They didn't have a picture of that. It was a mystery to them. And it was even a mystery to the angels. And so Peter says that we're talking about things that even angels long to look into. And the angels are watching this time. This is a fascinating time for them. They're seeing God's plan of salvation carried out life after life after life after life. And it's an amazing thing for them to watch. We talked about the fact that the prophets prophesied for our sake. And all of these things are taking place now in this age of salvation. So last Sunday, as we looked at verses 10 through 12 in chapter 1, um, we came to the end of Peter's introduction to his letter. He wound up the introduction with that. And so this morning, I want to pause. I want to take a break here and just go, okay, what do we do with this? Was this introduction just more information for us? Is, is that all it's going to be? We're going to have to keep this in context. We're going to have to remember that Peter wrote a letter to the church. And there were a whole bunch of churches scattered abroad who saw this letter, who read through this letter, who were encouraged by this letter. Someone would stand up in their gathering and read the letter from Peter. And they would all be encouraged and strengthened by it. They'd be challenged by it. This was a letter. It came from Peter. It came from Peter's heart. It was meant to affect them and their lives. It was meant to have an impact on the church. And we have to keep that in perspective. What we're studying is not just some theological document. This is a letter that was written to the churches. And we have to look at it as a letter. I think back on, on my relationship with Kim, my wife, and, and how it developed. And, and a lot of our relationship developed through mail. Because I was in Haiti and she was back in the United States. And we wrote letters back and forth. And every once in a while, the letters would get up to me in my village. Or I'd be down in the capital city and I'd be able to pick up mail. And there'd be a stack of letters from Kim. And I'd, I'd have time to just get caught up. And I sat down in my little hut and, and I would spend hours then just looking at her letters. Studying what she had to say and what was the meaning of this word. And I soaked in those letters because they were letters. And, and when Kim introduced those letters, it was not things for me to study. She wasn't teaching me. She was sharing her heart with me. And God's sharing his heart through the letter that he's written to us. God's sharing his heart through the letter that Peter has written to the churches. And we have to view Peter's letter that way. We have to see that. When Kim wrote me letters, the, the start of her letters was just like this. Let's revisit our foundation right away. What was established in her letters was what was going on between me and her. That we loved each other. That we were in relationship with each other. Our status was affirmed. And then we go into the rest of the letter and, and I would enjoy it every single time. Peter's letter was meant to be just that. It was a letter. It was a letter to the church. And the introduction of Peter's letter was foundational. It was the foundation of the rest of the letter that was to come. I have this fear that 
that this is how we're going to remember this series so far. We're, we're going to think back and we're going to go, oh yeah, remember there was, Paul put that map up and you could see where the, the cities were that, that, that Peter was writing to and, and you could kind of see him in context there. You know, modern day Turkey, we learned that. That was, that was kind of cool to know. I like maps. I like studying where these things are. That was great. And, and then he broke down a couple of words. He talked about the word foreknowledge and that was a big letdown because he just said all it means is to know beforehand well there was supposed to be some deeper meaning in the greek right but he didn't give us one of those so that wasn't that exciting and then remember he talked about the word rejoice and he broke that down and oh yeah remember he was standing up on stage and he wanted to demonstrate what it meant to jump up and down but he couldn't because he has diabetes you know and and he has neuropathy in his feet and, and wasn't that sad that he couldn't jump up and down on the stage for us and that was that was tough and and remember he made a, a joke about the those boxes that were on stage about receiving 82 pairs of diabetic shoes from his congregation that was hilarious you know what else was hilarious when Scott and John did that video about where they were like super awkward, they didn't know each other, they'd been going to church for a long time. That was really funny. Oh, it's been a great series so far. Okay, so let's not get stuck there. That's not what I want us to take away from this series. God's word is full of impact. It's full of life-changing, transformational impact. And it was meant to have an effect on us. And so as we pause this morning and talk about the foundation of Peter's letter, the introduction of Peter's letter, let's understand something. That that introduction, just these 12 verses, were meant to lay the ground for the rest of the letter. So there are things that, that Peter came back to to remind the church of so that they could stand on that foundation and build from there. Peter talked about the environment around the foundation. He, he described that well. But he talked about what this foundation is. And we're going to talk about that foundation. Before we get into building a house. Because we need to know what we're building on. As we go through the study of First Peter. So turn now to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. And we're going to look at. Um, we're going to review the first 12 verses together. And here's what I'm going to do. And it's going to seem a little bit awkward maybe at first. I'm going to stand on a foundation. Okay, you just need that visual in your head. And yeah, it feels a little awkward. But honestly, with Scott doing announcements, nothing seems awkward that I do anymore. It's just I can do pretty much anything and I'm fine. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. And we're going to study... From a foundation this morning so that you remember this. There's a foundation under me and we're going to talk about this foundation. First Peter chapter 1. This is how the letter starts. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit... For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. There are a number of foundational building blocks in this passage, in the introduction to First Peter, that I want you to take note of this morning. So get those pencils out, get that app fired up, And let's work our way through these verses. It won't be a a great in-depth thing. We've already done that. But we're going to work through some key things. And I want you to be looking for, looking for foundational building blocks that stand out in this letter. And if you see some that I don't cover, just go ahead and underline them anyway. There's no rule about this. But we're going to work through these verses. So get your pencils, your highlighters, your app ready to go. Verse 1, underline the word elect. Elect. What a great place to start to build our foundation. Peter says that we are elect. We have been chosen by God. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are his people. We are God's people. We have been chosen by him. We are God's elect. God has adopted us into his family. God has drafted us to be on his team. We belong to him. We have been chosen by him. For what? Hold that thought. Because we're going to deal with the for what all the way through this series. Elect. We are God's elect. And that is one of the foundational truths that we stand on. You understand that you have been chosen by God. He chose you. And that is an amazing and beautiful thing. And honestly, that could have been it for the introduction to Peter's letter. And that would have been enough. What foundation do we have to stand on? We've been chosen by God. That's a foundation to stand on. I can live from that place of understanding that I have been chosen By God, I am one of his elect. That ought to give me enough security to get through any day. I am God's elect. I have been chosen by him. Verse 2, underline the word foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. 
we are known and we always have been known by God. And not just intellectually, not just factually, but God has known us intimately since long before we ever existed. He is the one who knit us together in our mother's wombs. He has known us from before time. He had a foreknowledge of us. And this is amazing to me. Before we could earn anything from him, he knew us. We didn't start with zero. We started with being known by God intimately. We started with being loved by God unconditionally. That's not something we worked up to. That's not something that we earned. It was there before we, we, we even existed. It was already there. It was there before we had the opportunity. And we've had many of these opportunities to blow it. It was already there. That peace was already in place. He knew us and loved us intimately and unconditionally long before we could earn his love, long before we could do anything to negate his love or to make him not love us. That was in place and that will never, ever change. That's foundation. That's a block that we can stand on. We're God's elect and we were foreknown by him. We were always known and loved by God. Can you stand on that? Yes. yes, thank you. You can stand on that. That's where I want us to get this morning is to where we're going to be a little quicker to go. I can stand on that. Yes, I can. Also in verse 2, underline the word sanctification. Sanctification. This is another foundational block. God's plan for us has always been to move us forward. To move us forward. To continue this cleansing process. This process of making us holy. This process of improving us. This process of chiseling away at us until we look more and more like Jesus Christ. We are being sanctified. We are being cleansed. We are being restored to what we were created to be day after day after day. And there was God's plan from the beginning was take what we have at the start. And he was just going to work with it and make it better and better and better. That is a beautiful truth. He is not going to take us backwards. That's not his plan for us. His plan is to move us forward in the process of sanctification. And his spirit is doing that work in us. If, if we invite him in to do it. And we have to call on that. We have to call on the presence and fullness of God's spirit in our lives. Day after day after day, he wants that. He wants us to know the fullness of his spirit. And his spirit is going to produce the fruit of the spirit in us. It is so encouraging and affirming to know that this sanctification process is taking place in us. If we're inviting God to do it in us. Invite him to do it. It's foundational. It will give you something to stand on. Elect. Foreknowledge, sanctification. Also in verse 2, the word is obedience. Underline the word obedience. Here's the reality in life. Everyone answers to someone. Everyone answers to someone. 
And as God's elect, we answer to God. How can there not be an element of obedience involved in that? You cannot read through this without seeing that God is calling us to obey his will, his plan, his purposes for our lives. You can't miss that. God has something in mind for us. He has something in mind for us in, in, in the grand scale when it comes to our whole lives. He has something in mind for us right now at this moment on today. He's always got something for us. And he is calling us into obedience. And because of our sinful nature, we resist that, don't we? We resent that. I've, why should I have to obey all these things? This is too hard. And here's what we need to do. Take a step back and go, hold on a second. Who are we answering to? And we're not just answering to a God who sits behind the judge's bench and pounds his gavel and says, guilty again. We're not, we're not answering to a God who is just that person. We are answering to a perfect father. We are answering to a perfect shepherd. Yes, he expects us to be obedient. But we're not just answering to someone who, who we can't understand. We're not just answering to someone who is not personal to us. It's very easy to, to be disobedient when you're completely disconnected from the source of authority. It's very easy to drive really fast down a country road when there's no one around to see you. But day in, day out, every minute, every second of every day, we are accountable to God our Father, to the Great Shepherd, to our King. And He has things for us to be obedient to. But it's Him. It's Him that we're accountable to. And that is foundational. That is encouraging to me to know that the one to whom I am accountable loves me unconditionally and has nothing but my best in mind. I can stand on that. Also in verse two, some packed verse underline the phrase sprinkling with his blood. This highlights the fact that we live in a covenant relationship with God, our father. That we live in an eternal covenant relationship with God our Father. Here's a relationship in which the person that we're having the relationship with has covenanted to us, has committed to us, has stated what the relationship is to him and will never fail, will never back down, will never walk away from what he's stated in his part of the covenant. And he's called us to enter into that relationship with him that covenant relationship and he said here's here's how i'm going to do it just like i've always done it throughout the history of mankind there's going to be a sacrifice and some of the blood of the sacrifice is going to be spilled on his altar and some of the blood from that sacrifice is going to be sprinkled on you and me and we have been sprinkled with the blood of jesus christ as a sign of our covenant relationship with god that gets us in to that relationship And operating from that place of having that covenant relationship with God, that is foundational. That is a strong place to be. That is a beautiful place to be. Verse 3. Underline the word mercy. We have received God's mercy. His mercy has been poured out on us. Do you know what God's not doing? God is not sitting back, watching us in our pitiful state, going, come on, you can survive this. Fight your way through this. 
God, in his abundant mercy, moved towards our state, towards our condition, and poured himself out on us. He did something about our condition, about our eternal condition. And we live in the reality of that mercy day in and day out. Remember that about the one to whom you're accountable, that he took a step towards you because he had mercy on you, because he saw your condition, he saw your sinful nature and said, I will do something about this. And he did. That mercy is yours. That mercy is mine. We live in that mercy every single day. That is a block in our foundation, the foundation that we stand on, the foundation that we live by. It's God's mercy and it's there. Also in verse 3, underline the words born again. Born again. Another foundational truth. We have been born again. He has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to have a second life, an eternal life. He's given us this tremendous, tremendous gift. Through his son, Jesus Christ, we now will live forever because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our foundation. We are going to live forever. And as our foundation, that really ought to affect the way that we live right now, shouldn't it? We're going to live forever. We have that eternal hope. We've been born again. How then are we going to live this new life? Because it doesn't start when this life ends. It started already. We now live in that reality. And so we don't mess around with the foundation of this world and the, the, the human physical life that we're going to lead here. We stand on something much stronger. We stand on eternal life and its reality. We have been born again. We are new creations. And God is working to grow us up as his new creations that have been born again. What are you doing with that new life? With that second chance? Also in verse 3, underline the words living hope. Living hope. We talked about the fact that this world cannot offer us the living hope that Peter's talking about. There is nothing in this world, no matter how good it is, no matter how secure it feels, there is nothing in this world that can give us the hope that only God can. Nothing. No matter what it is, it can be taken away. And it can happen just like that. But we have a living hope, an eternal hope, and it can only be found in God. It can only be found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But that living hope is part of our foundation that we stand on. We have a living hope. Verse 4, underline the word inheritance. Peter talks very descriptively about our inheritance, about how stable it is, about how it's unfading, about how it cannot be damaged, it can't corrode, it cannot change. It is absolutely secure for us. We have this inheritance that's ours, and the inheritance comes from our Father, and our Father is God. 
And when we look around at this world and we think about the things that we're building up as our inheritance, the things that we've received as our inheritance, it's nothing, nothing compared to the inheritance that is being held by God for us and will be ours at the completion of our salvation. That's our reality. This inheritance is ours. What God has is ours. We have to live in the reality of our internal, eternal inheritance and put our hope in that. Verse 5, underline the word guarded, guarded. God is not sitting by watching us and cheering us on, hoping that we make it to the end. He's guarding us. Our father, our shepherd has his hand on us. That's foundational. That's the kind of reality that we need when we face the fears of this life around us. And they're everywhere. God is guarding us. He has his hand on us and he's not going to let go. Sometimes it might seem like it because our circumstances are so bad. But all of these foundational truths do not change. And in those truths, God has his hand on us. He is guarding us. Also in verse 5, underline the word salvation. God is completing our salvation. We are working our way towards the completion of our salvation. And, and here's an encouraging thought out of that. We often equate salvation with that decision we made when we were four, right? And now we're living and things are hard. And it's not hard to get disappointed with what we think is our salvation. Where is it? How come it isn't just like it's described in the word? How come everything's not perfect for me? I'm saved. Our salvation is not complete yet. The completion of our salvation is waiting for us in heaven. And we are working towards that. We are working out our salvation now. But it's not complete. But the fact that it's going to be complete, that that promises in God's word ought to give us perspective. It ought to give us hope. It ought to give us a foundation and the perspective that we don't need to be disappointed with what we think is salvation right now. Salvation is coming. The completion of our salvation is coming. Have we been saved? Yes. Is our salvation complete? Nope, not yet. It's coming. The completion of our salvation is coming and we can stand on that. All right, verse 6, underline the word rejoice. You know what I mean by rejoice. You know what the Bible means by rejoice. Rejoice about what? Well, haven't we just gone over a whole bunch of things that we can rejoice about? They're right there, right? We're God's elect. We have been foreknown by God, known, chosen by him. We're being sanctified by God day after day. We're obedient, accountable to a perfect father, to a perfect shepherd. We've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. And we are in a covenant relationship with God. We have been, we are recipients of God's mercy. It's been poured out on us. He moved towards us. We have been made to be born again. We've been given a second chance, a second life, an eternal life. We have a living hope 
that you cannot get from this world. That's ours. We have an inheritance waiting for us that is beyond comparison. We are being guarded by God, our perfect, omnipotent Father. We have salvation that is being completed in us right now and will be totally complete one day. Chapel Hill, rejoice. Rejoice in this. That's ours. That's our foundation. That's what we stand on. So Peter says, in this you rejoice. Why would you not? How could you not? Rejoice. Please don't fake this. If you're having a hard time rejoicing, you've got to get into these truths. You've got to get into your foundation and go, whoop, maybe I slipped. Maybe I walked away from my foundation. Maybe I can't see these things because I'm somewhere over there in this world. Get back to your foundation. Stand on it. Go back to 1 Peter. Look at the words that you underlined. And rejoice. Verse 7. Underline the phrase, tested genuineness of your faith. Tested genuineness of your faith. Here we get to find something that addresses our circumstances. It is a valid, affirmed reason for the trials that we face. Our faith is being tested, purified, strengthened, made perfect through the trials that we face. We can actually believe that these difficult things that we're going through have a purpose in our lives. That's foundational. We can stand on that. Verse 7. Underline the words praise and glory and honor. Praise, glory, and honor. And try as hard as this may be to picture Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Standing in front of you and pouring out praise and glory and honor on you. How beautiful is that? That's a promise. That's a block that we stand on. That's ours. We're going to stand face to face with Jesus Christ. And he is going to give us Praise and glory and honor. Okay. Maybe I don't need that from the people around me then. Maybe that's not the thing that's going to get me through the day and make me feel better about myself. I'm going to get it from Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Underline the words, you love him this is the heart of the matter we are in a love relationship with Jesus Christ right now and our lives are about loving him and loving our neighbor he said it himself you love him you're in a love relationship with him he's loving you all the time love him back from that foundation foundation of his love for you though you don't even see him you love him stay there go to verse 10 and underline the words concerning this salvation 
concerning this salvation, understand once again that the prophets wrote about this time, even though they couldn't see it clearly. And we live in this time, in the age of salvation. We have the honor and privilege of being a part of God's saving plan. His salvation came to us, to you and to me. Stand on that. You're part of his plan. Finally, verse 12. Just affirming this, underline the word you. Says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. It was all part of God's plan. It led to his encounter with you, to his mercy being poured out on you, to his grace being made available to you. You were the target of God's saving plan. You are the target of his love and his grace and his mercy. That's what he has for you. And all things pointed to this. Consider your foundation, Chapel Hill Church. You're chosen, known, loved by God. You're being perfected by his spirit. You are accountable to a perfect shepherd. You live in covenant with God. God poured out his mercy on us. We've been born again to eternal life. We have a living hope. We have an inheritance beyond compare. We're being guarded by God. Our salvation is being completed and is ready for us. Our faith is being purified so we look more like Jesus every day. Praise and glory and honor are coming. We live in a love relationship with Jesus in the age of salvation where the good news of salvation has reached us. That's our foundation. So we can do any number of things. We can deny it. And just walk away from it and go, no, that's, that's not realistic. That's not real. I don't feel that. Science isn't backing that up. There are different things in my life that seem to contradict that. It's not real. I can't stand on that. We can see it as false and just deny it. That's one of our options. Or we can compartmentalize it. We can live the rest of our lives over here and then we can come to church on Sunday and go, oh yeah, let's build on this box. Let's build this house over here and and make it really pretty but still be over here going, there's my religious belief system right there. We can doubt it. We can try it and go, okay, well, I don't think it's going to hold me. I don't think that's ready for my life quite yet. Or we can stand on it and live by it. And if we do, what does that mean? How does it affect our lives then if we live on the foundation that God has provided for us? Well, we're going to have to do a lot of things. We're going to have to live like we belong to God because he's chosen us. He knows us. We're accountable to him. It's him working in us. He's our father. And we're going to have to live like that's true, like we belong to him. We're going to to have to live like we accept his mercy and love. And we love him back. We're going to have to live like we really do have this inheritance that Peter talks about. So we lack 
nothing. And then we're going to have to walk around in this world and, and acknowledge the fact that we lack nothing. We have this inheritance. And stop being so disappointed with what we don't have in this world. We're not missing anything. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. We shall lack nothing. It means we're going to have to live like we're going to live forever. And that our forever life is going to be perfect. And that needs to put this life in perspective. We're going to have to live like we're being guarded by the omnipotent God. Who is all powerful and can't be beat. We're going to have to live like our salvation is being completed daily. We're going to have to live like Jesus. The one that we're being transformed to resemble. We're going to have to live like the good news really is good news. We're going to have to live like the rest of First Peter has importance to us based on the introduction and the foundation that we're looking at today. Because he has a lot to say. There's a lot coming in this book. But we can't do that. We can't live like that apart from living on this foundation. Not being aware of or studying the foundation. Living on this foundation. This is our foundation. And this is our foundation now. It's for now. It's not just life after this one where we'll have this foundation. We have it right now. And we can't fake any of this from somewhere other than being on this foundation. If we do, then all these truths that we see in First Peter 1 verses 1 through 12 are just empty words. Not the words of life that we need to heed and live by. We can't merely say that God has chosen us. Telling people that we belong to God doesn't mean a thing if we don't truly belong to him. Studying his mercy and love doesn't prove that we're living in that mercy and love. Claiming this inheritance doesn't mean that we're going to receive that inheritance. Only sons and daughters have rights to that inheritance. Living forever is not something that we choose to do. We can't make ourselves live forever. Only those who live in Christ on this foundation live forever. We can't be guarded by a God that we run from constantly. Our salvation can't be completed if we don't invite God's spirit to complete it in us. We'll never resemble a savior that we don't even know. And the good news is nothing more than just news if we don't make it the center of our lives. In fact, if we don't, it just becomes bad news. Is this your foundation? Is this your foundation? Are the truths that Peter writes of in in his introduction the very truths upon which your life is built? Do you live the way you live? Because this is all true and you can't help living in the reality of these things. Does your purpose in life revolve around the fact that God chose you and loved you before you even existed? Are you on mission here in this world because you belong to God and he's on mission? Do you surrender each day to God knowing that it is his desire today to work in you, perfecting your faith, completing your salvation? Do you live every day in light of your eternal life, your eternal hope, your eternal inheritance? Does the testing of your faith bring you joy? 
Can you honestly look at a struggle that you're facing and find God's perspective or, or just trust his perspective, even if you can't understand it or, or see it? Maybe these things just aren't your reality. Maybe your foundation is your, your belief in your own competency. Maybe your foundation is your hard work and your ability to care for yourself and for your family. Maybe that's your foundation. Maybe your foundation is your skill at convincing people that you're something much more impressive than you actually are. Maybe your foundation is your perspective that safety and security are all that you can hope for in this life. Maybe it's time to trade in your foundation for a new one. This is a fork in the road for us in our study of 1 Peter. And from here, you can learn more fun facts about the Greek language and the culture of the first century church in Asia Minor. You can pad your understanding of biblical theology or church history. Or, or you can invite God to draw you closer to him, to test the genuineness of your faith, to fill you with hope and joy, to chisel away at you and make you look more like Jesus, to give you sharper clarity of purpose in your life and to make him and his truth known through you to this world. One of those two roads can be found over here somewhere away from this foundation, but the other one can be found right here on this foundation. And we already know that this is not the easy road. This is the narrow road. It's the hard road. But this is the road that leads to all of the experience of all of those things that this foundation is built on. All of those things that Peter wrote about in 1 Peter chapter 1 in the first 12 verses. They build this foundation. They affirm that this, as followers of Jesus Christ, this is where we live. These things are true. And from here, life makes a lot more sense. And you can find the hope and the joy that God has in mind for us. You can know about it over here. You can study it all you want. But you're not going to experience it until you're standing on it. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. Because for some here this morning, I know that this is maybe shaken a little bit inside of you and you've gone, yeah, I, I know those things. But I'm really struggling and I think I realized this morning that it's because I'm not living in those things. I'm not standing on that foundation. I don't trust that foundation. I have not surrendered to that foundation, to these things that are true about me. If I just surrender and give myself to him and, and let him take these things. And Maybe you, you made a decision at some point uh, in your life to follow Christ and, and you felt like that was enough. That you, you got that get out of jail free card. Do some business with God right now on this. Is he showing you that you're, you're not actually living on the foundation that he's provided for you? That these things aren't the reason for the way you are and the way you experience and, and perceive life.
Talk to him about that right now. I want you to do some business with God right now. Say, you know what, God, I, I know these things, but that's it. I have not fully surrendered to you. Trusting you as my father. Embracing my inheritance in you. The, the, the joy and living hope and all of these things that are found in you. I have not received the mercy that you've poured out on me. I am not in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. I know about him, but I'm not walking with him. I'm not returning the love that you have for me, Father. I know I'm not. I know about it. I'm, it sounds great, but I haven't taken that, that stand. I haven't got on that foundation and gone, nope, now I'm going to live my life from here. Maybe that's your desire this morning is just to say, God, I'm, I'm in. I want the foundation. It's time for me to step onto it and not just live around it somewhere. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. If that's your desire, if your desire is to step onto it and declare that I am living in this foundation from here forward, no matter what. That's your desire this morning. I want you to stand right now. Nobody's going to look around at you. I just want you to stand right where you are. You do that for me? Just stand up and declare before God, this is what I want. There's no embarrassment here. There's, this is not a, a question, a judgment about where you've been all your life or whether or not you've, you're saved. That's not what this is about. This is about you saying, this is my foundation now. This is my foundation. Nothing else. I can't count on anything else. I don't want to just learn about it anymore. I want to live it. I want to operate from here. I want to see everything from here. Let me pray with you right now. Father, you know the hearts of those who are on their feet right now wanting to take that stand and be fully surrendered to you, wanting to make you and your promises their foundation, not just their belief system, not just something that they admire, not just a security blanket that they go to from time to time, but they want this as their foundation. God, will you make it their foundation right now? Will you give them the strength, the commitment to, to stand there, to stand firm and operate from there and only there. And not to doubt the strength, the firmness of this foundation. God, do that in their lives. Thank you for their willingness to just surrender fully to you. And operate from that foundation. Thank you for all that you're going to teach us. As we move forward into First Peter. Go ahead and have a seat now. Father, we are... Moving now into a, a time of remembrance. Will you lead us there? Lead us to the foundation at the foot of your cross. To the place where Jesus suffered and died for our sake. There's strength there. There is strength in the cross. Show us that strength this morning, Father. 
Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.